may be coming to the last subject in this chapter that I talk on. I don't know if we're going to have one more or not. Uh, but I wanted to talk about righteousness while we were in this chapter again. This time it's, it's about civic righteousness. Civic righteousness. Now as citizens of the world, we're, we're in two worlds. We're been transformed or conveyed into the kingdom of God. So we walk in the presence of God, but we're still in this world. It it left us in this world. But in this world, we are helping to establish the kingdom of God. And so we have to see the kingdom as being among us, that the kingdom is present. And that as we pray that thy kingdom come, we must walk as citizens of the new kingdom in which our king rules and reigns, the one that had made a covenant of peace with us. The 54th chapter, 14th verse, he says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. In this, in this life, in this world, in this time, He's establishing us and leading us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He's going to establish us, and and through the gospel we are established. But he imputes his righteousness, and that's a righteousness that's not, that's an alien righteousness. That's a supernatural righteousness. That's of him, because our righteousness is a filthy rags, because we have a natural righteousness that we inherited through Adam. Adam was created with inherent righteousness, but when he sinned, he lost that connection with God. He lost the spiritual connection with God. So now that all of Adam's race, all of those that are in Adam, have a righteousness of their own. It's a righteousness that's as filthy rags, but we have to, in fact, genocide, genocide that righteousness and adopt God, have God's righteousness, which he adopts us into his families and imputes his righteousness unto us, and he establishes us in that righteousness by the gospel through faith. Verse 54 and 17 says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in the judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness. The servants of the Lord's righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So our righteousness is a derivative of Jesus Christ's righteousness that's imputed unto us. He had given us that righteousness. And as we walk in the word of God, As in our day-to-day Christian life, the fruit of righteousness is developed in us. That righteousness, as we conform to his image and likeness, and the blessings of that civic righteousness. We're reading the book of Proverbs 11, chapter 11, verse. Let's look at a few verses talking about righteousness here. It says, By the blessing of the, the influence of the upright, the city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it is torn down. The living version reads, 
The good influence of godly citizens causes a city to prosper, but the moral decay of the wicked it drives it downhill. We see a lot of places, or towns, or cities, or nations, and things. The downfall of, of them is sin. But the upright is what, is what upholds and establishes the cities. And so we see God is establishing a new heavens and a new earth. There's a, something that's forming here that the citizens of God see being established here on earth. An inheritance that we're walking in, in our inheritance. And we know that the righteous that we shall inherit the earth. And we have to see it through the eyes of faith. We walk in by faith and not by sight. So we seeing the kingdom as it comes among us. We're seeing God. We, through the eyes of faith, we do see the works of God. Book of Proverbs, the 14th chapter and the 34th verse says, Righteousness, that is moral and spiritual integrity and a virtuous character, in which all three of these are citizens of God, a child of God, should be in possession of these, uh, walking in his law, which is righteousness. All of his laws are righteousness. His commandments, statutes, and precepts, all of these are developed so it says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And uh, there, in the political scene today, a lot of people are relating and saying, well, how can you be associated with this particular politician or with this particular church or with these po political alliances or religious alliances or social reliances evil association corrupt good manners and that we have to realize that we can't have fellowship with the workers of darkness and that we're in the world but not of the world so there, there's where a division sets up that that division we must separate ourselves from that he says come out from among them and be separate so we can't be partakers of what's going on in this world or whatever because we're ambassadors of Christ. We're, we're pilgrims here and that we are helping establish His key. Through faith we establish the laws of God and that those laws of God through preaching and teaching is vanquishing the forces of evil. It's destroying the corrupt and the evil in the world the the foundations are being destroyed of satan's kingdom that's the work that we're doing we, we we may not can see this but the spiritual those through the eyes of faith see that the spirit do it work and it gives us hope in this present time the book of proverbs the 25th chapter in the fifth verse says when you remove corrupt men from the king's court his reign will be just and fair um, the Amplified reads, Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. There are righteous men and there are righteous followers, but what God has to do is remove all of the sources of the wicked. That's why he says, Allow the wheat and tare to grow together, and he'll separate them when he comes. 
So we will consider the wicked one of these days and not find them, not see them, because they're being cut off. And we see this through the eyes of faith, through this ever-increasing faith. That's why we're walking in the Word of God. That's why we are letting our light so shine, because we see that the wicked are getting worse. We see that the blind that's being deceived by the wicked they're getting in worse shape because they're not humbling themselves and conforming or walking in God's way. So we know that there may be a good amount of the elect that perish because a lack of studying of God's word, a lack, lack of practicing God's word, a lack of praying to God. They're getting entangled in the world's affairs. They're getting entangled in the material things of the world. They're getting entangled in home building. They're getting entangled in job building, career building, and all of these other things. Not that you shouldn't do those things. It's just that he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. So there's, there's a, we should be able to prioritize redeeming our time during this time because we have to make right applications of our time. Isaiah 16 and 5 says, And in mercy shall the throne be established. We consistently harping on that theme of it's established because in the 14th verse at 54th chapter it says, In righteousness thou shalt be established. So if we are establishing in righteousness, those that are not in righteousness are being rooted out. The axe is being laid to the root of the tree. God is accomplishing something at, at, at this time. He says, And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hastening righteousness. The Amplified says, A throne will be established in loving kindness, and one will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of the dynasty of the family of David, judging and seeking justice and being prompt to righteousness. So we see here everything is talking about the righteousness in which David was a type of. It's not the actual David himself. David was a type or a shadow of these things to come. And so the Spirit is establishing the righteous in the earth at this time. We're being, just according to His Word, we're being established in the earth. It's not to be, say, of this city and that city and this state. No, all of it's the government's going to be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. He's putting His people in all of these places, just as Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego was in the Babylonian governmental system. God has his people that are in his system and he tearing down the rest of the governments of the world. The kingdoms of the world are slowly becoming the kingdoms of God. We're looking at the Davidic covenant being actualized. The Davidic covenant in which God had promised David a rule. There will be a human rule on earth here. A messianic prophecy through David saw where Christ would rule and reign in what they call a millennial reign. In a reign where oppression and a lot of these other things will cease 
and that God is establishing his kingdom. Now this is coming about, but as we study and increase in knowledge, we're more able to fully help God bring this about because the saints of God are bringing this about. God is working through the saints of God as he brings about this king. The living version of that same, of the verse that we studied just now, the living version says, uh, verse 54 and 14 says, you will live under a government that is just and fair. So we know, we know we're not talking about the government of the United States as it exists now because it's not just and it's not fair. We have a Supreme Court that has went off the rails. It's unethical. We have state government, and we see state and local government. All this is unethical. But we do see that as we pray, our prayers are coming true, that his kingdom is coming, and that as Jesus spoke to his disciples, they said the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's among us. There's a kingdom, and Jesus told Pilate his kingdom was not of this world. In other words, not of this cosmological system, because Satan is the god of this world, and his kingdom is being vanquished away. Your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace. Terror shall not come near you, because we'll start having the dominion and learn to speak and have the power to speak things through the power of the gospel that we'll wield the sword, we'll wield the rod of God, and that he'll vanquish his enemies. Because as that 17th verse was saying that this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of Christ. Their righteousness is the one that they had put on Christ. They are in Christ. They are clothed in Christ. Christ is our righteousness. He's our righteousness. So Romans 10 and 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law. In other words, it, it leads to him and his purpose is fulfilling him. All of the law and the prophets, everything was fulfilled in Christ. For Righteousness to everyone who believes in on Him and Savior. So all of this is the focal point ends in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled in Him. And that's who we look to, Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And His righteousness is the righteousness that we're clothed in. We're putting Him on. He's our strength. That's where we get our power to. He gives the ability, the power to become the sons of God to those that believe upon Him. They don't understand that Christ gives to those who trust in him everything that they are trying to get by keeping his laws. He ends all of that. We're not saying by law keeping that these come about, but we're walking in this by grace. We're walking by grace through faith. And by faith, we know that Jesus says anything that we have need of, we ask the Father in His name, and His Father would provide that. Now, all of these things come to pass because we keep His commandments. Not that we're commandment keepers, but He's writing those laws upon our heart. It's becoming part of our nature to walk pleasing unto God. If we walk pleasing unto God, the things that 
used to give us pleasure no longer pleasure us. We're transfixed upon the kingdom of God. Our focus is there. These are just conciliatory things that come along that we're using the world but not abusing the world. But just as Job, all of these things that were given to Job, but Job had God at his highest point in all of his thoughts and followed all of God's commandments and statutes. He was a perfect and upright man. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 says, But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. That is, he became the one who revealed God's plan unto us, that plan of salvation, that saving righteousness. And righteousness, that is, he reconciled us unto God. He made us acceptable unto God. He justified us. He put us in proper standing with God. And he's our sanctification. That is, he's the one making us holy and setting us apart in God. He's, his word sanctifies us. It washes us. It consecrates us unto God's purposes. And redemption, we studied redeeming. He, he's our redeemer. We've been redeemed by his blood, providing a ransom for the penalty of sin he paid that price. He paid the ransom price. So death, the bondage of sin, all of these other things goes out with him. In him we have liberty. Everything is in Christ Jesus. That's why we remain in him. In his righteousness, that's the breastplate of righteousness that we have is in Christ Jesus. He's our righteousness. He's the Lord of righteousness. Uh, I think the living version says, For it is from God alone that you have your life through Christ Jesus. He showed us God's plan of salvation. He was the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy and gave himself to purchase our salvation. As it says in the scriptures, If anyone is going to boast, let him boast only of what the Lord has done, not what he had done, but what Jesus had done. My boast is of Christ and Him alone. The book of Philippians, the third chapter and the ninth verse says, And be found in Him. Where are we? In Christ. We all have to be in Christ. We have to abide in Him. He said, If you are my disciples, if you continue in me. So by festering or meditating or being embodied in that word, abiding in Him, is where that righteousness, that husbandry from the vine, that it produces the spirit producing fruit in us, the fruit of righteousness. It's producing that in us. It says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness is of God by faith. It's the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of faith of Christ, the faith in Christ and of Christ. Because we have to have that same mind in us toward God that Jesus had. We have to have that same mind, those same thoughts. Ephesians, I mean, Amplified Version reads, 
that we may be found in Him that is believing and relying on Jesus. Not our works, not nothing we could do, and not nothing of the law, anything. It's solely on Christ. It's on His shoulders. That's why it says the government shall be up on His shoulders. He's the Prince of Peace. Not having any righteousness of my own that is derived from my obedience to law or through some ritual or some act that I have done. Those handwriting of ordinances was removed in Christ. So it's not about any sacrifices or anything that we could do. The only thing that we can do when He does save us, He does require a sacrifice. And that is what is our reasonable service policy is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that Christ lived in and through us. That it's not no longer I that live it, but Christ living in me. So I'm to take up my cross and deny myself, to die to self and follow after him. So it's no longer my desires and wants. It's all about glorifying Christ, glorifying God in Christ. Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So with this reconciliation comes a ministry of reconciliation. Bringing back to God, being one with him. Becoming one with him, our body is no longer our body. We sit in heavenly places and that we can do all of these things through Christ who's strengthening us to do them. They're not in and of ourselves, they're of God. We are led by the Spirit of God. And those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, making us joint heirs with Christ. Now, the living, I think I put the living version in there also. The living version says and we become one with Him. That's what that atonement did. It made us at one with Christ. As He is with the Father, we, He's with and dwells in us. We become, we're trying to become in that oneness. Oneness, that unity. No longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save us. It's all on Him. He's, he's often the finisher of our faith, and I'm relying on His finished works. He had finished the works, and that's what I'm counting on, what He has done. Now, nothing I will do or could do with what He has done. It is completed. All we have to do is walk in that, walk therein. For God's way of making us right within Himself depends on faith. That is, I have the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, that faith that... God had sent a man that this is that promised seed of the woman that bruised the serpent's heel, that overcame by what? The blood of the Lamb. That that redemption price that had put us. So here's the earth. He had established the earth. He's the creator of the earth. He says, as the days of the flood with Noah, he made a covenant that he would no longer destroy the earth but that He would establish us in Him. Going back to that established in righteousness, that first, the A part of that verse is, in righteousness shall thou be established. Not in crooked works, not in unrighteousness, not in sin, but in righteousness. 
And that righteousness, he justifies us and then he imputes his righteousness unto us. We're having a clean slate in him. Second yes. uh, Chronicles, the 20th chapter, the 20th verse. The king rose up early that morning and said, So they got up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, King Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, hear me, nation of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe and trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established, that is, you will be secure. Believe and trust in his prophets, and you should succeed and be prosperous. So if we believe and trust in him, we will be established. He's going to sit our feet on solid ground. He's going to get us back on the right path. He's going to place us where we need to be. The book of Psalms talk about that. That we were in the muck and mire of this world. We were in sin. We were a disgrace. We were in our own blood. We were wandering and we had went astray. Man, we were a mess. We were a horrible mess. And he says... He brought me up out of a horrible pit of tumult and destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. He's the solid rock. He's that true foundation. Steadying my footsteps and establishing my path. How that, that our feet were shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace through the preaching of that gospel which is able to establish us. The gospel, the word of God, that's what gives us a proper footing. We, 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 if we have a proper footing and we keep our feet shod with the gospel of peace, because remember, he made that covenant and he says, we shall no longer be terrorized. We should no longer face the oppressor. Why? Because we're standing up on a rock. we got firm footing. We got firm footing, steadfast, immovable in the faith. Don't let nothing move you off that. Let nothing move you off Christ. Psalms 112 and 8 says, Praise the Lord. Now, I'll, I'll read this whole psalm here, 112 psalm, because it's a psalm of praise. I think it's eight verses. Listen at this psalm. David, a sweet psalmist. The book of Psalms sometime in... If we would just read God's word, that's why I say Martha is encumbered by much work. That's why sometimes when you people be saying that they work and work, and I'm saying it's good working at your house, but do you work all the time? It's good being uh, sometimes enjoying entertainment or whatever. But how about the word? How about like Mary? Mary had chosen a good thing. He told Timothy to spend that, your time reading, reading the scriptures. They're able to make you wise on the salvation. How often do we just take a day, whether it's the Sabbath day or Sunday, and say, well, look, I, when I come in after work this week, I'm going to cut the grass, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all those things with cool line, I'm going to do all this. But today, I'm going to rest, I'm going to relax in peace and relaxation and just sit here and study God's Word. Let His Word fill me. Meditate on His Word. I don't want to get agitated and discombobulated, but the peace of God, it stills me, 
And I'm just going to read that word. And just study and read this song and meditate in it and through the week meditate on it. It says, Praise the Lord for all who fear God and trust in Him are blessed beyond expression. They are blessed beyond expression. It's like what we were studying this week, a peace that exceeds a beyond understanding. A peace that's beyond understanding. Well, this is a blessed, you're blessed beyond expectation. Yes, happy is the man who delights in doing his commands. His children shall be honored everywhere for God's, everywhere. For good men's sons have a special heritage. He had spoken earlier about great shall be the peace of our children. That's an inheritance that we can pass along to our children. That, that's things that a derivative of God's peace is that that's inheritable to our children. And our children see us studying the Word of God, taking time and meditating in the Word of God, not running after the world, not always so busy that you work yourself into a frazzle. It's some people just stay busy staying busy. They're constantly busy all the time. And they're like a bear in a cage. They don't get anywhere because their salvation is built up on works. They hadn't entered into the rest of God. It says, He himself shall be wealthy, and, he, and his good deeds will never be forgotten. When darkness overtakes him, light will come bursting in. He is kind and merciful, and all goes well for the generous man who conducts his business fairly. Such a man will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see him. He does not fear bad news, nor live in dread of what may happen. For he is selling his mind that Jehovah will take care of him. That is why he is not afraid, but can actually and can calmly face his foes. He gives generously to those in need. His deeds will never be forgotten. He shall have influence and honor. Even-minded men will be infuriated when they see all this. They will gnash their teeth in anger and slink away in their hopes toward it because this man is like Job. God has a hedge, a border up around him. So how do you measure success? Do you have an inner peace or inner calm? When you pillow your head at night, is there a sense of accomplishment and pleasing and glorifying God? What are your goals that were met for that day? What are your prayers and accomplishments that you ask God to lead you and guide you to accomplish those things? Or is it all material? Is it, it should be a spiritual aspect of those things that had motivated you. The book of Proverbs, the 12th chapter in the 19th verse says, Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is credited only for a moment. Some people say things and change things about, but you can remember the truth. You're establishing the truth. But lies vary and like wind, they're blown away and they're only for a moment. And one lie has to precede another lie, and it's all built upon a house of cards. But the truth will stand. Truth stands the test of time. Lies are soon exposed. Sooner or later, somebody will expose that lie. 
we're starting in the dark school come to the light. Uh, I read, I keep reading that verse over and over. Let me read verse 14 of the 54th chapter in the Amplified Bible. It says, you will be firmly established in righteousness. You will be far from even the thought of oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. Romans, the 16th chapter, and the 25th verse. Let's try to read that whole thing in three different verses here. First of all, the King James says, Now to him that is of power to establish you. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world begun. This was a mystery, and I told you yesterday that God had determined that he was going to save these. And he gave them to the Son, all of these, None of them shall be lost, and with those they made a covenant of peace with them. But what was buried deep within, what he was going to give unto them was of his spirit. They were going to be birthed into his family. He was going to buy them back. Though they were lost, he was going to redeem them. And so they had that appreciative effect of having been lost and Angels can't rejoice in that because they have never been lost. It takes someone who has been in sin, who has been lost, to understand the freedom of release and liberty in Christ Jesus who had freed us from bondage of sin, from walking in the muck and the mire. Uh, the Amplified says, Now to him who is able to establish and strengthen you in the faith, According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery of the plan of salvation, which has been kept secret for the ages. All of this comes by preaching. Preaching of the gospel. But preaching of the gospel, in turn, in effect, brings about hearing, hearing the word of God. Well, hearing the word of God, faith cometh by hearing that word. By hearing that word, that's a derivative of how faith comes. A derivative of hearing the word of God is faith. So it's by faith. Grace through faith. Living says, I commit you to God who is able to make you strong and steady in the Lord. Just as the gospel says, and just as I've told you, this is God's plan of salvation for you Gentiles, kept secret from the time of the beginning. So, and the beginning of that 54th chapter is where it says he had turned his back, he had turned his face on them for a while. They were desolate, and they seemed to be like a, a, a bride, a young wife that was forgotten, that was stored away, but now... He turns back and said he would never forsake. He would never leave her. He would make a covenant of peace. She will become prosperous. They would have to throw down the wall. So this is the Gentile world. He had chosen Israel. He had chosen the Jewish people. And the Gentiles was in the cold. They were in the dark. But now comes the light. 
Now comes the light. Here comes the light. Though they were in darkness, the light has burst through. The light has burst through in the guise of Jesus Christ. And the gospel had come and set them free. He was a light unto the Gentiles. He had shined that light of salvation upon their hearts. And now they are growing in him and becoming fruitful. They're becoming all that he had intended for them to be because it was part of his word from the beginning of the world. That was his plan the whole time. So Colossians 2 and 7 says, Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. See that you go on growing in the Lord and become strong and vigorous in the truth that you were taught. Let your lives overflow with joy and thanksgiving for all he has done. So as you, as sheep, you give them new food. You don't let them eat out of the same pasture because sometimes that redundancy, that overgrazing in one pasture, give them something different. Give them some new food. All it's wild is sheep food. It's sheep food. But it's a fresh word. Paul says, I have not failed to declare the whole counsel of God. There's a depth to the word of God that we can't fathom. It's infinite. It's a living word. It's able to restore our soul in all areas of life. This shines light into all areas of life. Whether you're bitter and winning in the mire and the clay because sometimes trotting along the same path, sheep end up walking through their own waste. You know, you didn't see cows or animals in a pen or something. Those animals need to be rotated around into new pens. It's like a cow's stomach in the four different compartments of that stomach that food passes through and ruminates. They meditate on it. They get stronger sometimes when you put them in a different grass field. Sometimes let that meat of the word. Don't don't just give them milk. Give them the strong meat sometimes. Bring these things through their life to restore. The nutritionist now in the Department of U.S., the Agriculture Department, talks about a balanced meal. You have to balance the carbohydrates and the fiber and the protein. You have to balance all of these things. We have to have balance in the Word of God. <clears throat> I told you about the man that talked about baptism all the time. Paul says laying under, uh, aside the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on hands and all of these things, let us go on to the perfecting of the saints. There's some word here that we all would love to hear some more of this word. I, I never get tired of hearing God's word. <clears throat> It says, therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, walk in him, that is, in union with him, reflecting his character in the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin. What? Reflecting his character. We need to be in his image and his likeness. This is the newness of life that we're walking in. This is the new man. Having been living lives up deeply rooted in him, now being continually built up in him 
and becoming increasingly more established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing in it with gratitude. Man, that ever-increasing faith, not just that little mustard seed faith, but a faith that moved mountains. A faith that is able to speak to the mountain and tell it to be moved. A faith that faces the enemy. A faith that faces all things because we're growing in him. And he says, greater things shall you do because I go to the Father. Have your faith increased some. You know, I I hate to see a a child or something that's being held back. To hold something back or being held back, they use the word, and I don't want, I hate to use it using people or whatever, but to hold something back is to retard it. In other words, to hold back, to retard, to stop it from growing, to hinder it. You hate to see things hindering something. You, you want to move all obstacles to growth and let this thing freely become all it needs to become. Remove the shackles and the bonds in our life. Remove all that's holding us back from all that we can be. Christ wants His Word to free us, to set us live at liberty, to set us free to keep us from just wandering around on the ground like caterpillars, to have us to be able to fly like butterflies, to soar like eagles. We have to be rooted and built up and established in Him. Some of us are meant to grow, and we shouldn't let others retard or hold us back like crabs in a barrel because of jealousy and envy and they contend at that level and they want you to be content at that level. No, God has put a desire. God had put things in you that that, that desires go increase. It wants you to reach higher. It's it's a motivation. Yeah. He puts motivation in, in all of it. Second Thessalonians two seventeen says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which had loved us and has given us his everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your heart and establish you in every good work. He keep on talking about establish. You know, doing this, this is not a time that you transpose plants. Normally, when you transplanting plants and planting plants, you want to do it during the cold weather. You do it when it's cold because it's going to go through shock and the heat. It's going to kill the roots and it's not going to grow as when it's cooler weather. Cooler planting time, cooler weather brings about planting time. That's why in the spring, at the end of the fall, I mean at the end of the winter, you see people getting out planting or whatever. But those are plants that catch quick root. Those are the vines. Those are the small guarding plants. But the trees would have been planted in the wintertime. When in the wintertime is when we see most un- underground growth. There's nothing going on in top of the ground. But it's in November and in parts of the winter, when you put the run- winterizer on the soil, that's when the root system is developing. And sometime in our lives, when you don't see a lot of action, 
God is establishing us. He's giving us deep roots. It's like a tree planted in by a river. We develop deep roots. The roots go out and tap and branch out and put out little filler roots and everything. Because once a tree is really rooted, it's hard to turn it over. It's hard for it to be loose. If you would pass by after a hurricane or some great storm, you don't see live oaks turning over. You never see live oak trees turned and blown over because they have a root system that's vast, that's deep, and goes to a deep height. But you do see the red oaks. You do see a lot of these oak trees, these tall oak trees overblown and overturned. That's because they don't have deep roots. So in the parable of the soils, the one that was planted in good soil that had deep roots is the one that prospered. Not the one that was in thorny ground that was on that the thorns and thistles that are on gravel and different things like this. You want to have a vibrant root system and prayer and Bible study, all that. Those are things that gives you a deep root system to grow in the Lord. Uh, now, the Amplified reads, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, God our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting comfort and encouragement, and the good hope by His grace, comfort, and encouragement, strengthen your hearts, keeping them steadfast and immovable in every good work. Notice it keeps saying in every good work. Because works are one of the things that help water the soil. They grease the wheels of faith. They all those things because a faith without works is a dead faith. So you must continue in doing good works. We have to have good works. A faith without works is not a faith. It's a dead faith. So we have to have good works. And he strengthens and increases those works. It is Christ in us both to will and to do. He doeth the works. All throughout the Bible, it talks against slowfulness and idleness. It is not good to be idle. The old saying is, an idle mind is a workshop for the devil. Hebrews 13 and 9 says, So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your spiritual strength comes as a gift from God, not from ceremonial rules about eating certain foods, a method by which, by the way, hasn't helped those who have tried it. Uh, Amplified reads, Do not be carried away by diverse and strange teaching. In other words, many different teachers. Now, I don't want to seems strange here, cultic, uh, 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 contradictory about something new and something diverse. When it says diverse and strange, it means something that's alien from the Bible that's not taught in the Word of God. In other words, we can't unite Buddhism, uh, Islam, or some Catholic doctrine yes. and some other religious tenets of the faith because the, the teaching is so diverse that it's not focused on Jesus Christ. Everything, he's the door to the sheepfold. You have to come through him. 
some of these teachers don't teach and Jesus Christ is not the primary mover. Even Jehovah Witness is not looking at Jesus having that name above every name. You have to come by Jesus. Uh, for it is good for the heart to be established and strengthened by grace and not by food rules or diet or ritualistic meals which bring no benefit or spiritual growth to those that observe them. <clears throat> so, practicing righteousness. As I was saying, practicing the presence of God. Uh, drilling in the fact, like an army drill team. You didn't see drill teams or football people. They do it and they practice before the game. Well, we must go through this. The preparation of the gospel of peace puts us through the kingdom of God practicing the priesthood. Because if we are a royal priesthood, we must start doing those things that priests do. We must start having clean hands and actually put our hands to accomplishing things. Solomon talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the tenth verse. It says, Whatsoever thine hand findeth to do, do it with all of thine might. For there is no work, nor vice, nor knowledge, no wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. So we're not skilled at everything that we put our hands to. And not everybody is gifted along the same lines of doing everything the same way. But the body of Christ, God does gift each and every one of us. And we have to make sure of that vocation. So we have to find out where do we fit in at the body of Christ. In other words, we have to attempt to do things. We have to see whether he given us a spirit to do those things. Is our whole heart body, mind, and soul in the work that we do? He says, try the spirits to see whether they be of God. Because we need to be able to do this with zeal. If you're working on a job and you hate going to that job, well, I wouldn't take that job if I was you. If you got to work from 7.30 to 5, uh, 7.30, uh, you know, 8 hours a day or night, you just want to be liking what you do. They say, if you find what God has designed for you to do, you won't work a day in your life. In other words, I could preach and teach all the time, and it's not for money. I think this is what God created me to do. See, that's what changed sports. That's why I really, you notice I don't watch the Super Bowl and the NBA and all of those things. I used to follow tenaciously, you know. I would fight to be talking about a football game and, and basketball and all those things. I never was too, too much into baseball. But I knew the stats, the coaches, and the players, and followed football and basketball. But no longer it has, because there's no sportsmanship in football. There's no love of the game. The players are focused up on money, up on name. There's no sportsmanship in sports any longer. So those are things in the world. That's what untangle me from the world. Now those people with skill, you know the best running one of the best running backs that I think ever come along was Barry Sanders. He never had an offensive line in front of him and every yard he gained just about was just about on Barry Sanders running ability. If he'd have had the offensive line that uh, Jimmy Johnson had put together at Dallas 
he would have had some yardage. You know, he, they had an offensive line that, just like when uh, the Saints had Willie Rolfe and all of these at that offensive line position. But we're talking about when your heart's in the game, when your heart's in what you do. God gifts and places each member in the body of Christ where it pleases Him. So whatever God gives you to do, if it's being an altar boy, if it's being an usher, or a singer, or a deacon, a choir member, they don't have congregational singing like they used to be. A lot of churches used to, everybody would sing. They had the hymnals or whatever. Some sister would get up and belt out a song there from the heart or whatever, and you'll see people just consumed by it. But now it's commercialized, and you have all of the different singing groups, and gospel music is some of the highest music that you can purchase now because it's all commercialized. When the Kurt Franklins and all of them come along, and it's, it's, it's no longer a spirit that's in the music. It's no longer what it was. It's not a practice of righteousness. It's all for the, a different motivation here. It's a form of godliness, but it has no power therein. He expects us to grow and to overcome. He expects us to grow and to overcome and function wherever He places us in that we have to pray to Him that He places us and that we look unto Him for our strength and as he gave the people the craftsmanship to craft and put together the temple, he'll give you the wisdom and the knowledge to carry out the job. But you have to rely on him and keep asking and in prayer to him. For the, for the callings of God is not in the repentance. The gifts of God is not in the repentance. That's why you see some people gifted in certain areas and they take that talent and serve the devil a lot of times. They take that singing ability, that preaching ability, or whatever it is, because they are false prophets now, false preachers that are serving the devil. They've departed from the faith. They're gone the way of demons. Paul says, demons had forsaken me for this present world. So demons might have become a money-coming preacher, a prosperity or whatever. He lost the tenets of the faith because, as I said, the church apostatized moved away from God. So we should work diligently to improve our prayer and Bible study through practice. Practice and more practice. Even to the point of devising exercises that train us to think and become better organized and having that prayer time and that time just enter into our prayer closet. The time of study. What time is I'm going to get up and study? Get this a long time to study God's Word without the phone ringing, without somebody disturbing me. But as Peter told and they developed the deacons, they said, well, look, let's just get deacons to wait on the tables and everything and do this ministry because we have to give ourselves to the Word of God to be a better preacher and a minister for you. I have to have time to research and study the Word of God. You have to be a good Berea. Go back and study the Word of God. Prayer is work. Prayer is hard work. And a lot of people don't put in the time in prayer because prayer is a hard job to do.
and you have corporate prayer. You must participate in corporate prayer, not just independent prayer, prayer by yourself, but as a church body, we have to come together in corporate prayer. We must strive to be more merely functional at them, at doing these things. To become a better prayer, there's a lot of deacons in churches and everything. Everybody would rather that deacon pray or whatever because his praying, you can tell that he prays a lot of times. You can tell people that don't pray a lot. They seem to stumble. They seem to add words that it doesn't flow the way it should. They they seem like they're not used to talking to God or praying to God or asking of God. They pray more like the Pharisee did or whatever. But added to this is Christian living. I don't know if I need to go into this, but we have to live as Christians. That's the way that we are established in the righteousness of God. It becomes a part of our everyday life. And I don't like when people say, well, I hope God will. No, you have to practice the presence of God. You have to know that God is present with you all of the time, that he never leaves you or forsake you, and that the work you're doing, it's him doing the work and actually not you. So we have to live a Christian life. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As you're working, the scripture says, work as if you're working unto the Lord. So we go pick up with that scripture in Christian living Wednesday afternoon to round out this teaching on righteousness, and we'll get to that at that time.